This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Since you've got a Bible in your hand, go with me to the book of Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Now, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit for, I think this is the 22nd week. Actually, this is going to be the last night I'd speak on it. I will invite you to come back on uh, the next few Wednesday nights. We've got great things. But starting on Wednesday, December 2nd, I'm going to start a new, just a little, little mini-series, something that's really stirred on my heart for us to help us understand God. So many people don't understand God and just give you a little, little bite of what's going to happen. He's a good, good God. He's a good, good God, and I want to teach on that. So that's in the upcoming weeks. But we begin tonight in Luke 24. Oftentimes in our life spiritually, you can feel dead. You can feel complacent. You can feel apathetic. You can feel lukewarm. But let me tell you this right now. Through God's Spirit, He still breathes life on people. He still breathes life on people's situations and circumstances and on people. And so that's what we want to talk about here this evening. Luke 24, verse 46. Then Jesus said to them, the disciples, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary... For Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, Jesus warned of his disciples, but then very next, he challenges them to preach the word. And what did he say we should preach in Jesus' name? We should preach repentance of sin. Now, I can tell you right now, in a lot of churches, that's not popular anymore to do that. But yet, Jesus tells us, this is what we need to preach. You know why he wants us to preach that? Because sin disconnects us from Father God, and sin leads us in places that God never intended us for to be. And so Jesus says right here, preach in my name. He goes on to say, verse 48, And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I, Jesus, I send the promise of my Father upon you. The New Living says, and I will now send the Holy Spirit. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. That you are clothed with power from on high. That God's supernatural help comes upon you. And when he says this here, he's not talking about a bunch of weird stuff that highlights mankind. That's not what he was talking about. But when you look at this... Jesus' instructions right here to the disciples before his ascension were clear. Wait in Jerusalem and expect power. It's exactly what he told them. And then he, he not only commissioned them to preach the word and be witnesses, but he promised them the enabling power of the Holy Spirit to help them fulfill the task. Now the inter- interesting thing here with, with all this as I look at it, These disciples of Jesus had been with him for three years. They had seen the miracles he had done. They had heard the teachings. But yet, the Lord Jesus said, it's still not enough. You need something else. Now, as I look at that and and I read that, and it's very easy for me to read into that and say, well, if that was the same for the disciples... What about me? 
What about you? Are you clothed? Are you endued with power from on high? And when he talks about the promise from the Father, all that jumps back into to Acts 1-8 where the Lord said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power to be a witness. That's what the Lord Jesus and Father God prescribed. Now keep reading with me here. Verse 50. And so Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. He spoke a blessing over them. He evoked a blessing on them. And so picture this. Jesus is standing there with his hands raised, and he's blessing them. Verse 51. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted up from them and carried up into heaven. How would you like to have been there to witness that? You know, the Bible's very clear. As the same way that Jesus departed, he ascended into heaven, he'll come back in a similar manner. So guess what? If you're here on this earth when he comes back, and I believe really, now this is my opinion, we're going to see that in our lifetimes, most of us. And he's going to come down, and you know what? He's not going to freak the Roswell people out. They're going to think, it's another UFO. No, it's not going to be a UFO. I promise you. It's going to be something that's real and alive. Verse 52. And they worshipped him and they returned or went back to Jerusalem with great joy. Now the reason I say that or read that is they obeyed Jesus' command. Remember Jesus said, boys, don't depart from Jerusalem until you get the promise. So they literally heeded what he said and they go back to Jerusalem. But one of the things in this verse that you really need to say, see, pay close attention how they went back to Jerusalem. And they worshiped him and they returned to to Jerusalem with great joy. Not a little bit. They were worshiping him and great joy came upon them. And this was a great season in their life. And it goes on to say, and they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Now when I read this, I believe with all my heart that the temperature of a church and the temperature of an individual believer of Christ is monitored by my passion to worship him and my heart to pray. Now, in saying that, how do you rate with that? Do you have a passion to worship him? Or, man, you don't care. You just get caught up, and you don't care how you sound. You don't care who's looking at you. You say, Lord, I come to worship you. And even in the sense of praying... I mean, prayer is vital, vital, and it goes back to even what I said earlier. Part of fighting the good fight, you've got to learn to pray. And so Jesus right here, he gives us great, great insight. So go with me to the book of Revelations chapter 3. And let's go a little bit deeper here. Because I really believe here in Revelations 3, this pertains to us to this day. Revelations 2 and 3, he writes to six different churches. And then here in chapter 7, he writes to the seventh church. Now, pay close attention. These are Jesus' words. Revelation 3, verse 14. And to the angel, or the messenger of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, the church of Laodicea, was in a very affluent city. It was a very, very wealthy city. 
And so Jesus right here through this angel is he is addressing what he calls so-called Christians or so-called believers. So he says in verse 15, I know your works, I know your deeds, I know your actions. The Amplified says it in a great way. The Amplified says, I know your record of works and what you're doing. Interesting right there. Jesus knew what they were doing. And then he goes on to say that you are neither cold nor hot. And I believe what he's talking about there is your spiritual temperature. You're not cold or you're not hot. And he said, I could wish you were cold or hot. I wish you were one or the other. And so Jesus wasn't impressed with these so-called believers. He wasn't impressed with them at all. And I sit there and I look and I think, were these believers there thought of a Christian was I get up on Sunday morning, I go to church and we sing a few songs, we may clap a little, hear a few verses, maybe a poem, see something that's cute, tip the Lord a little bit and then say, man, I've done my duty for the rest of the week, I'm out of here. I really wonder if this is what Jesus was addressing here. He goes on to say in verse 16, So then, because you are lukewarm, you're distasteful, you're nauseating, you're a nominal Christian. Now those are all different terms that I found. Listen to some of the other definitions that he talked about lukewarm. That you squeeze God into your schedule. I believe in Christ, but I'm really no different than the people who don't. I confess the Lord Jesus as Lord of my life, but I don't live like he even exists. See, I can be lukewarm and not even know it, or worse yet, many are lukewarm and they know it and they don't even care. And so he's dressing things here, and he says, you're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And literally, when I look at lukewarm, it's a person that will not make a stand for anything. Well, I'm afraid if I speak up for Jesus, I'm going to be persecuted. You probably are. But if I speak up for this, then I'm no longer a Christian. And so literally, this is what I believe he's talking about here. Anything that we begin to get over and it hardens our heart to the things of God. Where we become stagnant, where we become complacent. Now he addresses more in verse 17. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and I have no need of nothing. Now as I read that, you know, you can get over and you could see where a lot of Christians, you know what they would say? Well, I'm charismatic. I'm Baptist. I'm Methodist. I'm Church of Christ. I'm Catholic. And it's like that's where our identity is, but I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. And you know, you can say to the devil, I'm Baptist, and see how far that gets you. And so literally right here, this is what I liken these people to. They've got all these things in their life, but yet when you ask them, 
Do you believe in Jesus? It's amazing how many people look at me and say, I'm Baptist. I'm Presbyterian. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. You're either a Christian or you're not. So he goes on and says this. That you may be clothed or that you're wealthy and have no need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked spiritually. You are oblivious to the things of God. 2 Timothy 3.5 says this. You take on a former Christian, but the power is denied. What I believe this church at Laodicea needed... They need a strong dose of the Holy Ghost. Anytime you see power, it's affiliated with the Holy Spirit. The the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, he said, be filled with the Spirit. And literally that means be filled and filled and over and over and over again. And so he says, you're oblivious, verse 18. I counsel you. This is his offer how we can return to you to buy from me gold refined in fire. You know what fire does? Fire will burn up the junk, the impurities, but it'll cause the good things, the gold, the silver to come to the top. And he said, I want to refine you in fire that you may be rich, that you may be rich spiritually. That's what he's talking about. He's not saying, I want you to go around and gold coins come out of your pocket. He's talking about, I want you to be rich spiritually. White garments that you may be clothed. That you know who you are in Christ. You understand that I've been washed white as snow by him. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. And so literally he's saying here, I want to give you an anointment where you can see the real truth, where you can see the things that I have for you. See, your possessions, your achievements, they're worthless when they become your God. And this is what he's getting over to, to this church. He said in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Now listen to what the Amplified says there. To whom I dearly and tenderly love, I tell their faults and I convict and I convince and I reprove and I chasten. That is, I discipline and instruct them. So be enthusiastic and burning with zeal and repent. Enthusiastic. This is what he tells us to repent. Understand this. When God rebukes me and he corrects me, he does it out of a motive, I love you. And I had a person not long ago, she made the comment, she said, I hate to go to Faith Christian. She said, that that preacher, he makes me feel bad about myself. And I looked and I thought, The Holy Ghost is just convicting you. I'm not convicting you. All I do is preach the word. But yet I looked when she said that and she said, I want to go to this church because they make me feel good about myself. Bless you. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now, when he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, this is addressed to a complacent church. And when he says, I want to dine with you, he's literally talking about intimate fellowship. But he stands there knocking. If you'll get that, he said, if you open the door. Jesus doesn't kick the door down. He won't do that to you. He said, if you open the door, I'll come in. And so there's a paradox here between the grace of God and my responsibility to say, all right, Lord, come on in. And it shouldn't be, oh, Lord, come on. It should be, I welcome you today. I want you to come in. Now look what he goes on to say, verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame. And I sat down with my father on the throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do I listen? Do I heed what the Spirit says? That's a question tonight. Or do I just go through the motions? Remember, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so I begin to look at this on this last night that we talked about it, and I think, What's so needed in the church, what's so needed in believers' life is the Holy Spirit. To this day, we ought to welcome him and we ought to say, come on in. Now, I want to end with a couple verses here. Go back to the next book, the book of Jude. And I want you to see these things and understand this. This is how God will deal with my heart real strong. He'll tell me, All you are is the messenger boy. Your job is not to save anybody. Your job is not to get anybody filled with the Spirit. Your job is none of Your job is to preach the Word. And then, you know what? People have the opportunity to say, I want to connect to that. Once again, I'm not here to shove anything down anybody's throat. It's to come to look and say, I need that in my life. I want that in my life. And so I want to leave you here tonight with a couple thoughts. The book of Jude, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. The Amplified says, making progress, praying. Praying. In the Holy Spirit. A vital part of growth is praying in the Holy Spirit. He said, Building yourself up, praying in the Holy Spirit. So this tells me right there that when I obey what Jesus said, the Word of God, I begin a self-edification. Something starts happening to me on the inside. Look at it this way. If you work out weights, that if you were there and you went day after day after day, your body's going to be sculptured a little bit, I'd hope. Things would begin to change. It's the same thing spiritually, but understand, it's on the inside. Something happens when we obey this verse. Go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians 6. Now, verses 10 through 18 all talk about our armor as believers. We all have armor. A lot of times we don't even know what the armor is or we don't put it on. So here in verse 18, this is the last piece of armor. 
And in Ephesians 16, it says, praying always with all prayer. The specific way which spiritual warfare is carried out. Praying always with all prayer. And, and, and supplication in the Spirit. The meaning of supplication in the Spirit is where Holy Spirit-assisted prayer is taught and directed. Now, how can I get away with what the Apostle Paul said right there? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. The last one, 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You know, if people ask me, Pastor, you, do you think it's God's will for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I'd say absolutely. But it's got to be your choice. It's not my choice. Do you think people should get born again? Absolutely. But again, I can't make that decision for anyone. And I believe at times that becomes the problem. I'll, I'll just be truthful. There's times in my life I want people to get saved more than they want to. Have you ever been there? How I many you got kids that aren't serving God and you say, man, I want them to be saved worse than they do. You just keep praying for them. I want people to be filled with the Holy Spirit worse than they do. But then again, I can't violate their will. It's got to be their choice. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14. Apostle Paul writing, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. So he's literally telling you and me that praying his tongues is praying from the spirit. Look what he says next. But my understanding is unfruitful. My mind doesn't comprehend it. My mind will never understand it. My mind will go into shock. My mind will say, you're crazy. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. And I will pray also with my understanding, my intellect. I will sing with the Spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. And so for Paul, praying and singing, both in tongues and, and, and both in the, the, the understanding or their mind, this is what he practiced regularly, right here. But when I read this passage... There is not one mention of hysteria. There's not one mention here of emotionalism. There's not one mention here of abnormality. None of it. What are you saying, Pastor? The Holy Spirit's not weird. People are weird. See, a lot of times I like to label people who do crazy stuff as granola Christians. They're a bunch of nuts and flakes. Some of you have been here for many weeks and you hear me say that over and over. That stuff really irritates me when I say it because it causes problems. Look at the problems it causes. Keep reading. Verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit... How will he who occupies the place of the uninformed or the unlearned say amen? 
So when people go in there and start doing crazy stuff, you know what people that have never learned about the Holy Spirit say? If that's the Holy Spirit, I'd never want anything to do with that again. I don't ever want to be around it. But when you see a person that the Holy Spirit moves in and, and they're loving, they're kind, man, you begin to say, I don't know what they got, but I want it. And so there's been a lot of confusion within the church. Keep reading. He says, at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well when you, when you speak in a tongue. Think what he just said right there. He said, you indeed give thanks well. He's not denying that. But look what he ends there in verse 17. But the other is not edified. It does the other no good. Now, Paul says several times in 1 Corinthians 14, I thank God I pray in tongues more than you all do. Where do you think he did that? I believe that was in his private his personal time with God. If you ever have the opportunity to read a woman named Catherine Kuhlman's books, if you need a vision or revelation on healing, read her books. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The pictures that I saw her was, was the good witch in the Wizard of Oz, Dorothy. This is a real question. Okay? Help me. <laughs> yes, okay, thank you. When I would see pictures of her, she looked like Dorothy. She, she gleamed and she glowed. She had some of the most incredible miracles take place in her surface. And they said she prayed in tongues more than anybody that they ever heard. But it was in her prayer time. Her quiet time with God. No one heard her. She would disappear. I believe this is what Paul was getting over then. Now look what he says in verse 18. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding than I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So it was in his own prayer life. It was in his own time. And again, listen, guys, I'm not trying to shove anything down your throat. I'm just giving you biblical examples of what took place with the greatest apostle of them all's life. Pastor, do you pray in tongues? I do. Often? All day. All day. All day. Most time people will never hear me. I don't want people. I don't want to cause confusion. But I thank God for that gift. That he said there in Romans 8, 26, he said there's times in your life you won't know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit does. I got to experience that last week with my niece, the little baby. All they do is call and say, we need a miracle. I don't know what to pray. But the Holy Spirit did. And so something happens. And again, I hope you don't think I'm weird. Do you guys think I'm weird? I hope you don't, okay? <laughs> I thought I better not answer that. That's kind of a loaded question. But I just want you to see I treasure this. That it's nothing to be afraid of. He said there in, in Luke eleven thirteen. But how many of you being good parents... You give your, your children food with they, when they ask. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's between you and God. That's not me, okay? I had spoke on this for all these weeks and all these weeks, and I just kept 
talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Lord said, just keep teaching on the Holy Spirit. People become comfortable with that. And if you think back to the Holy Spirit is so much more than praying in tongues, guys, okay? I don't want you to get that. He's so much more. But that is a part that the Apostle Paul not only received, he taught on it. And so biblically, over and over again, I see it, I see it, I've seen it, I've seen it. And woo, in this order, thank God I gave my heart to Jesus. Thank God I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank God for Shelley. <laughs> thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.